Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of June 24th through June 30th. I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. A cancelled Wii U project. And Ben Moreau, The one and only. And this week, uh, we have a bit of a shorter episode for you, as you may have noticed. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the time to edit the whole shebang, so we won't have a discussion segment for you this week. After the lightning round, we're just going to head to some beautiful outro music and uh, call it a day. But uh, luckily, the news segment is a little bit longer than usual, so hopefully that'll satiate you guys a little bit. Uh, let's jump right in. Nintendo asked Criterion Games, the developers of Burnout, to make an F-Zero game to launch alongside Wii U. They wanted a trailer ready for E3 2011. Unfortunately, uh, that was just too little time for Criterion. They had to turn it down because they were working on other games, um, which is really too bad because, you know, that's clear indication that Nintendo knows F-Zero's here. They have an idea of what to do with it. They have an idea of who would do a great job with it, which Criterion would. Um, they have an idea of third-party developers who they don't usually communicate with, who would be good on working on Nintendo IP. It also means we just, you know, we had the ch opportunity for a, a gorgeous F-Zero game, um, and also just the first one since like 2004, maybe. So it's just too bad to hear that. Yeah, Miyamoto had said previously that uh, Nintendo didn't really have any ideas for what to do with F-Zero. So it's interesting that they were willing to work with a third party and, you know, see if someone from the outside could offer a different take on the series. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I think Sega was the one who developed uh, F-Zero GX. Mm -hmm. And that was a fairly safe F-Zero game, I would say. There wasn't really anything groundbreaking going on there. So I, I don't... If they if their re concern really is we don't know what to do with F Zero. Well, didn't F Zero X not have like that whole campaign stuff that GX had going on? Yeah, I liked that in GX because they had they had some sort of st it was it was all ridiculous and silly and and insanely stupid. But I feel like that's the appropriate choice for F Zero. <laughs> sure, and that's not that's not really groundbreaking. It sounds like their hangups are more like we can't think of anything gameplay wise that would be interesting. to Yeah, do. that's fair. That's but fair. like. Well, racing God, I mean, that's pretty groundbreaking. Sure. <laughs> Captain Falcon races God and wins. Well, that's because he's Captain Falcon. Well, yeah. Captain Falcon always wins. <laughs> I mean, F-Zero doesn't seem like it's really changed that much to me gameplay-wise, so I don't yeah, know no, why I, they I have this this need to make it different now. Uh, what really intrigues me about this, actually, is that they wanted to have a trailer ready by E3 2011 when... If I remember correctly, there weren't even any actual game trailers from Nintendo at E3 2011. No, it was all tech demos. It was all stuff. tech demos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that, I don't know. I just find that kind of funny. Fire Emblem Fates took a big step. Uh, Nintendo announced that it will include same-sex marriages. Uh, each version of the game will have one character that your avatar can marry. Um, you can enter into a same-sex relationship with. Uh, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest has a male character that you can marry if you choose a male avatar, and Birthright has a female character that you can marry if you have a female avatar. Um, the third downloadable story content that, you know, comes out as, like, DLC for either game has both characters in it, so whether you're a male or female uh, avatar in the third chapter, then you will be able to marry either so the Supreme Court of the United States soon followed suit, directly inspired by Fire Emblem. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so that's so it's big news. Uh, Nintendo says, we believe that our gameplay experiences should reflect the diversity of the communities in which we operate. And at the same time, we will always design the game specifications of each title by considering a variety of factors, such as the game scenario and the nature of the gameplay. In the end, of course, the game should be fun to play. We feel that Fire Emblem Fates is indeed enjoyable to play, and we hope the fans like the game. You know, it reflects real life in that, in real life, at the start of your life, there's there, there's one person of the same gender of you that you can marry. In the world. <laughs> in the world. In the world. <laughs> um, I think it's a good first step, but I don't really see why they only allow the, the, the third version of the story to have both characters. That seems like an odd restriction. Well, me. I imagine that one character is, like, on one kingdom and another another is on another kingdom and they just thought it was appropriate just given the characters that they were writing to have one of them in one kingdom and one of them in another yeah I, that's what i was thinking too and I, I i wouldn't i would imagine it's it's less of like an arbitrary parceling it out by game and more mm-hmm. of a this is what makes sense for this character and this is what makes sense for another one and it just happens to be yeah i don't think it would be a very nintendo move for them to make a character who for whom this was a possibility without writing them uh, as a gay character uh mm-hmm. so yeah, it, it does make sense that it's limited, but it, it mm-hmm. is a little arbitrary. I, I think it's especially funny that the easier version of the game has the female companion and the harder version has a male companion. You know, male, harder. Hey. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it is a big step, though, especially considering Tamadachi life and the whole same-sex marriage thing when there was that glitch and then they fixed it and they were like, sorry, guys, it was a glitch. We're not going to we're not going to add same sex relationships now. Um, And then Fire Emblem Awakening, they also didn't have any gay marriage and people were upset about that. Well, you know, Um, a few months after that whole Tomodachi life thing went down, uh, Nintendo of America came back and said, you know, we want to try to be more inclusive. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I guess that must have trickled back up to intelligence systems and NCL because, yeah, I'm impressed at how fast that happened. Yeah, Um, it's very fast. A year later, we're seeing. Yeah. Nintendo recently held its 75th annual shareholders meeting. Wow. Um, According to an unofficial translation of the meeting, Iwata told investors that Nintendo will use film adaptations and character merchandising to increase the mindshare of their IP. So now what mindshare means basically is if they make, for example, a Pikmin movie, then the general public will know what Pikmin is, just like the general public knows what WALL-E is and what Toy Story is. As opposed to just Nintendo's core fans knowing what Pikmin is. Because right now, you know, that's kind of the divide that it is. You can't just go to someone on the street and say, hey. Yeah, Pikmin's um, not a household name like Mario or Donkey Kong. And I think this is totally the correct move because outside of Mario and Link and Donkey Kong and Pokemon, it's like they don't really have any of these household names that you can expect yeah. kids to want to buy the system. Just based on the Just brand. to play those brands. Yeah, they're right. not... They're not the king of video game brands anymore. That's like Minecraft or Candy Crush or whatever. But Iwata also said that Nintendo is holding on to a lot of its own stock to use for mergers, acquisitions, and partnerships. Um, Like DNA already, we know uh, Nintendo has a bunch of stock in DNA, and DNA now has a bunch of stock in Nintendo because they're very close business partners. Um, So they're looking to have the same kinds of associations with a lot of other companies, and they're holding on to a lot of their own stock to do that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Nintendo has been so hesitant to enter into any partnerships recently, and Iwata has said that uh, a reason for that 
is that they don't enter into a partnership unless they believe it's going to be a long-term deal that's mutually beneficial. So this tells me that Nintendo is probably eyeballing a few other companies or in talks with a few other companies for some long-term deals because they're mm-hmm. setting stock aside specifically you know, for the possibility of merging or acquiring or partnering with other companies. Which leads us wonderfully into the next story. Thank you, Ben. There is oh, a juicy rumor going around that Nintendo and Disney are negotiating a massive partnership that would include toys, movies, games, and more. Part of the rumor suggests that Disney actually wanted Mario to be a part of Disney Infinity 3.0. Nintendo didn't want to do that because Mario is like their main character. He doesn't really have anything to do with Disney yet. And they're they're still working out the deal of how like Amiibo will interact with Disney Infinity. Um, We already got the Skylanders thing. So it's not too far a leap to think that Nintendo might be interested in doing the same with Disney Infinity. Anyway, um, so it would include stuff like that. Part of the rumor is that Disney has wanted to use Mario characters in movies for a long time. Um, we know that the director of Wreck-It Ralph really wanted Mario to be a character in that. Um, we also know that he is really pushing hard to have Mario be, like, one of the main cast for Wreck-It Ralph 2. Um, this is news from, like, forever ago that I remembered because I like Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's interesting to think about. Um, you know, just, just a little bit of concrete news that, sort of supports this 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 idea that they are in these these serious talks uh, meanwhile one of the head honchos at nintendo said that he suspects that miyamoto may begin working on projects in other media so there really may be something brewing here yeah there's just a lot of talk right now about nintendo making movies or just finding other ways to expand their ip because they should make movies absolutely and i think <laughs> i think disney is a fantastic well partner. everyone else is licensing their movies yeah sony is like pumping out mm-hmm. more video game movies than video games lately yeah <laughs> it's true and and you know all of these uh not just reboots of old films but reboots of just like classic ip like transformers that i'm hearing there's gonna be a power rangers one which you know that was a multimedia franchise mm-hmm. so it's just like the time is ripe for 90s and 80s ip to just come back to the surface you right. know we've talked before about how nintendo could establish a, an almost like marvel cinematic yeah, universe the style. nintendo yeah and you know what what uh, disney's done with them has been fantastic where they just they throw money at them but let them you know do their own thing they have creative control and Disney just funds it and, you know, makes sure they've got the right people working on it. And it's it's been wonderful. You know, all these movies are critically acclaimed and just bring in just huge amounts of money at the box office. So I think Disney would be an ideal partner to do something similar mm-hmm. with Nintendo, where they just they get Nintendo working with the right producers and give them the right funding, but let them keep right. creative control. I don't know that I would keep creative control with Nintendo just because there's so much of their heart and soul is an interactive company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that they really have the the best. Well, I'm I'm fairly confident that they don't have the best story writers um, to yeah. write movies. No, or even cinematic vision. Uh, most of their games, even the ones that have had cut, good cutscene direction, have just right. not been so, cinematic games. Well, if if not direct control, then just uh, consultation. You know, to have to have no, people absolutely. like yeah. Shigeru Miyamoto. You know, at your beck and the call. The short able to... films were amazing. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great example. And so, I mean, I think. I really do think that that would be a great partnership. And I was actually, I was thinking I would love to see Pixar do anything with Nintendo, any Nintendo franchise at all. I was like recently at this Pixar exhibit at the Museum of Science and the whole time going through all I could think of, no matter what part of the creative process they were explaining, there was some sort of Nintendo game that my mind immediately jumped to that said, this is the perfect way to apply 
what they're doing here at Pixar to something that people already know. And it just, it just astounded me. Um, I always felt like Pixar and Nintendo would be a good match, but it astounded me the behind the scenes ways in which they would really just mesh perfectly. You know, another point about uh, Nintendo expanding into films is, I, yeah, I don't have the raw numbers in front of me, but from my experience, I think Nintendo must spend more advertising money on movie theaters than just about anything else. Because I never see Nintendo commercials on TV or, or barely on like YouTube and things like that. But every time I go to the movies, there's a commercial for at least one, sometimes multiple Nintendo games before really? the movie starts. Yeah, I've never seen that. That's oh, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's a, a local thing, whatever. But yeah, I know huh. uh, over the summer last year, I saw a lot of Mario Kart 8 commercials in theaters. I just I just went to uh, see Jurassic World the other day, and uh, I'm not gonna be able to remember what it was, but I know there was there was Nintendo commercials before it, so. At least uh, in the Chicago area, Nintendo seems to spend a lot of money on advertising in movie theaters. Yeah, and, and that doesn't surprise me either because movie movie theaters are like mass market entertainment and their their targets are, you know, mass market consumers. Uh, so it makes sense to put their IP in front of people mm-hmm. in places where they go for entertainment. And and they might just be curating this idea that you wanna you're gonna see Nintendo at the movies. I don't know. Hopefully. I would love to see it. The Smash Bros. director, Masahiro Sakurai, I'm sure you all know his name by now, has revealed that all current Smash DLC, uh, that's Lucas, Roy, Mewtwo, Ryu, Dreamland, you know, whatever, uh, was in the works before the fighter ballot went live. But from now on, all the DLC that comes to Smash will be fan service. Um, Several more characters will be released, he says, but he says, you know, please be patient. It will take some time to to develop this additional dlc so don't don't expect something every month from here on out this is such a such an extreme turnaround from what we were hearing before smash came out about how right sakurai didn't want to work harder on this game than he already had you know yeah he basically said look smash bros is going to be done in november and now he's saying hey several more characters are the weird thing he says only several only several. so i don't know what to make about that because does he mean like only three or four, or does he mean like well, it's weird? I think wording. maybe just uh, with with all the fan input we've seen on the fighter ballot and things like that, I think he's worried that fans might think this will just be a constant thing, and he's he's trying to temper right. expectations a little bit and let them know that you know we've only got a small team working on this, and uh, yeah. I like can't move either one of my arms, so <laughs> <laughs> don't expect too much. Um, I think it's really hilarious to me that he actually uses, like, verbatim the phrase fan service to describe what what they're doing. Oh, God, I can only imagine the, the radical directions <laughs> that could take. Uh, Smash Bros. Waluigi. Waifu edition. Waluigi. Uh... Goku. No, <laughs> about Vegeta. Well, I have a feeling, um, I have a feeling that given what he said, K. Rule and Isaac are basically locks. I'd hope so. Point. Anyone else beyond that? I don't know. I th- I still think Wolf is is a lock. Um, I thought previously thought that because of Star Fox Zero, um, and I can't imagine that the reasoning's any different. Although he still might call it a fan service character based on the fighter ballot, and then just sort of sneak it in there. Uh, not really as fan service, but instead as Star Fox Zero promotion. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and um, and it's just possible that they haven't started working on Wolf, but they would have anyway. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I, I think based on the, you know, resounding success of Splatoon, I think they've, the Inklings have to be shoo-ins at this point. I don't know. If they're all fans, I mean, even after the resounding success of Splatoon, the Inklings have done terribly on our, like, polls. And not, now I know that's just Gamnesia readers, but 
I think that does reflect, to some degree, Nintendo fans at large. And so I can't imagine they're doing terribly well on the ballot. So well, if... I wonder how they do now, though, now that Splatoon is actually out. No, they, we've done polls even since Splatoon has oh. come out and been extremely successful. Yeah. And, I mean, they're already the costumes, and I imagine their movesets would just be insanely hard to think up. So I can I can easily picture Sakurai just saying, throwing his hands in the air and being like, I'm not dealing with this yet. Like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I'm making easy characters. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, we'll see. Yacht Club Games is teasing a megaton announcement for Shovel Knight on Nintendo platforms. Uh, there are a bunch of possibilities for this. Um, they've, they were talking about Nintendo exclusive content and they announced it alongside like a battle mode for Shovel Knight. Now, one possibility, Ben, you mentioned the Megaton mm -hmm. Hammer from The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, they, they put Megaton in all capital letters, so it's, it's possible they're just excited or it's possible that they were highlighting that word specifically mm -hmm. as a clue. And yeah. if it is a clue, I, I can't think of anything uh, Nintendo-related that sticks out more than the Megaton Hammer from Zelda. Yeah, so. no, for sure. Um, I'm going to get my hopes up very stupidly and say <laughs> I am blissfully and ignorantly optimistic that Shovel Knight is going to be playable in Smash Bros. And that's what they're teasing here. And I say that because... I love the heartbreaking pain of being wrong. <laughs> um, but also because they never said it was any content for Shovel Knight. They just said exclusive mm -hmm. content on Nintendo platforms. Yeah, the wording was left intentionally ambiguous, it seems. Yeah, and uh, we know that Shovel Knight is one of, if not the most popular character um, suggestion for Western fans in the ballot. Um, Shovel Knight is an insanely popular new IP. Uh, probably the most significant indie character for Nintendo in recent years. Um, and, you know, it does kind of make sense that they might want an indie character represented in Smash in some way. Um, I think if there's going to be an indie character, Shovel Knight is hands down who they would choose. So I think for those reasons, I am going to just throw it way out there and say Shovel Knight in Smash. I will see your hopeless Smash Bros. wishes and raise you a... I think Mega Man will be a character in Shovel Knight on Nintendo platforms. Interesting. And I've, I've said this before, just because of the similarities between Shovel Knight and Mega Man with the whole, you know, you fight the other knights, you take their powers, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. Uh, plus the wording of the announcement, Mega Ton. It's just, it's too good a match, I think, for them not to do it, especially with Capcom not really being sure what to do with Mega Man, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the anniversary, which would be a good time to have a, kind of, a cross promotion. And plus, uh, Shovel Knight has gotten exclusive content on the other platforms, so I think it, it, it's probably going to happen on uh, Wii U as well mm -hmm. and 3DS. Yeah, all good stuff. They did say it might not be what you're expecting, though. So, it, you know, which kind of, I think, lends credence to what Colin said. Well, that kind of suggests to me what I thought by not what you're expecting is not like a boss character like Kratos and Battletoads. Mm -hmm. So by that conclusion, the Mega Man thing would not be it. But also, you know, what they could mean is it's not a Nintendo character, but it's still content exclusive for Nintendo consoles. Right, right. And that would be Mega Man. So, you know, it just kind of depends on what your interpretation is. And 
obviously none of us know for sure. One other thing to note is uh, in a previous interview, Yacht Club Games said that they would really like to have Tingle in Shovel Knight. So <laughs> yeah, I kind cool. of doubt that that's what their big Megaton announcement Tingle is. Tingle with the Megaton hammer. They they have gone on record and said they want Tingle in Shovel Knight. That so. could be cool. Is like a merchant kind of guy. <laughs> obviously playable character. Come on. Reggie fils was asked if he was concerned that Yokai Watch could lose its 3DS exclusivity and come to smartphones for future installments of the games. In response, he said they're not really worried about that. Yokai Watch requires tons of dedicated hours of play, and that most kids ages 5 through 7 or so, which is he seemed to indicate was the target audience for Yokai Watch, although I might suggest that that's lowballing it a little bit. Um, he says that they do not use smartphones or tablets for long periods of time. They may use their parents' smartphones or tablets, but those parents, uh, you know, only let them play games for small bursts when they need distracting, rather than the long, dedicated hours of, like, an RPG. So, I think that just this just kind of continues to show that Nintendo is in denial about the effects of smartphones on the 3DS, or just handheld gaming in general. Because Iwata has said similar things last year uh, about how he doesn't think smartphones really affect 3DS sales at all. And I have to say, from my observations, I, I don't see very many kids walking around with 3DSs. It's just not that common. A few years ago, you know, I'd see lots of kids with DS, but this generation I'm not seeing it. And I do see kids with phones and tablets all the time. Now, whether or not they, uh, they own those tablets or their parents just let them hold it for a little while, you know, that's... I, I can't say. I haven't uh, interviewed these parents, but I definitely don't see many kids holding a 3DS for a long enough time to commit to a, a, a sizable game like Yoke Watch. And then, like you said, the 5 to 7 demographic seems like a lowball number. Yokai Watch, at least in Japan, is the most popular TV show for children up to age 12. So I think it has a much broader appeal than just that 5 to 7 range. And so saying, you know, 5, 6, 7-year-olds don't really play phones that much, I don't really think that answers the question about Yokai Watch. I think that is something Nintendo should be concerned about just because level 5 has taken a lot of their IP that used to be exclusive to uh, Nintendo handhelds and have moved them on either to both handhelds and smart devices or solely on smart devices. Like with um, Fantasy Life, it was a 3DS exclusive in its first iteration and now the sequel is a phone exclusive and you're seeing Professor Layton move to phones and uh, Level 5's new IP that they announced a few months ago, that's going to be on phones as well as 3DS, so... Just the history of this company and the demographic that this game reaches, I think Reggie's really understating the the effects of smartphones. Well, I think Nintendo comes from this perspective where games that appear on dedicated plat- gaming platforms must necessarily be designed for those dedicated gaming platforms and the play habits that come with that. And I could see him seeing the way Yokai Watch is now, and I haven't played it, so maybe I, I don't know. But seeing the way that the games are made now and saying this could not be on a smartphone because the the playtime investment is too high. But I think what he's discounting is that when developers put their games on smartphones, and especially when they put original games on smartphones, they design them to be played in short bursts. So it's not like if Yokai Watch were to come to smartphones, it would be you know, the same thing as the 3DS games. It would be something designed for smartphones. And if the opportunity is there, I don't see why Level 5 wouldn't take it. Um, I think he's being a little, uh, a little... Blase. Yeah. Nonchalant. Not, there, there's a better word, but it's it's escaping <laughs> me right now. Um, yeah, no, he's, 
he's he's totally off base. Uh, it'll come to smartphones if there's an opportunity. Nintendo is making progress on several unannounced third-party projects, and they're interested in engaging in more. There's also a report stating that Nintendo discussed NX with third-party partners at E3, and they responded to it quite positively. So if that report is true, that's very good news, especially considering that one of their main struggles with Wii and Wii U, and I think even GameCube and Nintendo 64, come to think of it, is that they didn't communicate with third parties about what the third parties need from a Nintendo console if they want to be there and provide that support. Um, and that's why so many third parties are not developing for Nintendo consoles is because the consoles just don't support what the third parties are trying to do. Um, now, if the reception was positive with third party partners at E3, then that suggests they are coming to these people and asking beforehand and they're learning from the past mistakes that we need to talk to EA and Ubisoft and Warner Brothers and see what they need us to do in order to support our platform with the kinds of games that will bring in hardcore gamers back to Nintendo consoles. Um, I, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. I'm not sure if I'm quite as optimistic. Uh, for me, it just kind of depends on the timetable, because we don't know when NX is launching yet. Um, and when Nintendo first showed off Wii U at E3 2011, they had a sizzle reel of third-party developers talking about how much they loved the console and how excited they were to work on it. And then, you know, we, we saw how that went. There was very little third-party support at launch and almost none by a few months in. And so, for me, um, it depends on when NX, when NX is launching. Because I've seen quotes from third-party developers like Bethesda, for example, saying that they want you to come to them at least two years before you launch new hardware to show it off. So, if NX is launching over two years from now then yeah, this is a great start. It's great to hear that they're showing it to third parties. But if this is launching, say, holiday next year, and this is only like a, a year and a half head start, that they're just now sort of talking to these developers, but maybe not necessarily even giving them a dev kit now or anything, then I, I don't know if the situation's going to be any different than it was at Wii U, where you get just enough people on board that you can kind of do a hype video, but where the support isn't actually particularly strong. Yeah, fair enough. Just to be clear, I wasn't saying necessarily that it would end up that way for the console itself, but at least that they're realizing that in the past they were not working as closely with uh, third parties as they should have, and that now they're at least taking steps to rectify that, whether or not that will actually bear any fruit. Right, yeah. so if, this, if, if NX is a holiday 2016 launch, then I think they're still a little too late in coming to developers. But if it's, say, a holiday 2017 launch, then that means they're coming to developers two and a half years in advance and pitching ideas, and I think that's a very good sign of, of a healthy turnaround for Nintendo's mentality towards third parties. I'm with Ben on the Deja Vu. Uh, it, it definitely does feel like the early Wii U talks all over again. Uh, I think what's giving me a little more optimism than you, though, is the fact that third parties already feel felt alienated by Wii and then again by Wii U when it didn't sell. So if they are responding positively now, I feel like that reflects much better on NX than, say, had they responded to Wii originally like 10 years ago well. Uh, now they've been through dis the disappointment cycle twice, and if they're still coming out optimistic, that's a good sign in my book. Yeah. I'm not sure what third-party partners means, though. Uh, in that in that report, because this third party partners mean the people that are already working with them, or does that mean the people that ditch An them? An unprecedented partnership with EA, <laughs> right? And precisely. EA <laughs>
Um, and and does this mean that we'll go through that same drama with EA again? And I don't know if you guys remember the reports, but there yeah. was that talk mm-hmm. that they wanted to do the online infrastructure, and then that fell apart. And like, there's so many things that could go wrong between now and NX launch, whenever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if they're positive on it now, with the state Nintendo is currently in, I think that's that's great. And you know, if those talks were true about EA and Nintendo kind of having a, a falling out before the Wii U's launch. Um, that that coincides uh, with Criterion not being able to make the F Zero game because obviously you know Criterion was working on Need for Speed, which is published by EA. So yeah. I could totally see EA being like, "Nope, sorry, Criterion can't work on your game. They're busy on ours." Yeah, yeah. Also, in a similar vein, Shigeru Miyamoto has revealed that he is no longer in charge of hardware development at Nintendo. He's still observing hardware development, but he's no longer actively participating and making the big key decisions like 3DS needs to have stereoscopic 3D, Wii U needs to have a tablet controller, um, those kinds of things that I feel like have really been a major part in alienating key parts of Nintendo's audiences uh, in the case of Wii U or in rising the development costs of the system um, to the point where they launch at too high price points or they can't fit in other important tech specs in the case of the 3DS. Yeah, my first reaction was, thank God, because they've been putting (laughs) Shigeru Miyamoto in charge of so many things, and he can't possibly be good at all of them. Uh, Like, I feel like he's a great software developer. He's a great, has a great mind for what people like and what people enjoy and how to make that work uh, from a creative side. But from a business side and certainly from a tech side, I don't feel like he's in any way ahead of the curve. Uh, He's not a businessman. He's a, he's an engineer and designer. Uh, and he's not a hardware designer because he's not—he's not a tech guy. He's an artist and and engineering mm-hmm. sort of guy. So, yeah, you know, Colin, you mentioned the price points and everything, and I, I also think it's been suicide from a marketing standpoint because both with 3DS and Wii U, you know, you had people years later asking, you know, why why didn't they sell? Why was the launch so bad? And like you said, price was a big issue, and then also. The like mantra that Miyamoto's been repeating over and over again lately is people just don't understand. The system has value, but people just don't understand it. It's hard for people to understand 3D. It's hard for people to understand why the gamepad's great. And, you know, I can I can see where he's coming from a little bit. He's got to be frustrated that he, you know, put a lot of work into it and that there's quality games that aren't particularly selling well. But at a certain point, people just don't understand why my product is great is, is just no longer an option. You yeah. can't come to your investors and say, we have a great product. It's just the fault of the customers for not knowing that it's great. Right. It, right. It's not the customer's job to understand the product. It's your job to understand the customers. You know? Right. I will say, I am I am with you partway on that. I will say, in his defense, I think a lot of the people just don't understand lies at fault not with him, but rather with Nintendo's other branches that are in charge mm-hmm. of, of marketing things like that. I think there are amazing advertising points that they could have run to the moon with for Wii U and just didn't. Um, Decisions like calling it Wii U, uh, people have talked so much about why that was bad, but even things like making ads about off-TV play, that's an insanely valuable asset that no other consoles have, and I have not seen a single ad campaign for it. Yeah. Like, not not even like a banner ad on a website. That's a huge failure for the marketing team um, not so much for Miyamoto. So yeah, I don't. Think I the... do think he's doing an okay job of bringing features that are marketable and appealing and wonderful, but that other teams are not doing as good a job as 
as those features deserve. Yeah, I think I, I, the blaming finger can't be pointed at one person, but even Miyamoto has said, for example, that uh, Wii was able to take off because the big allure of Wii was the motion controls, right. and they were able to have, at launch, you know, a game that shows off, hey, you can play sports in your living room, and it got people excited. So he said Wii was an easily conveyed concept... Ooh. Whereas 3DS and Wii U are hard to convey concepts, right? So it's it's a little bit of both. He, you know, there yeah, there are good features. There I'm, are good features yeah. of 3DS and Wii U, but they're they're not easy for customers to grasp. And then Nintendo's marketing teams aren't doing a good enough job right. of conveying those. So it's it's a one-two punch of uh, struggle. Though again, in fairness, you can only do the lightning in a bottle of Wii, and what an insanely a innovative and b easy to communicate technology that is. Mm-hmm. That can really only happen once every so often. It's happened like two or three times at most in the 40 years that gaming has been around, including Wii. Um, and that's being generous. So I am with you in that it was kind of time for Miyamoto to step back and, and let other people uh, take charge of the hardware. But I'm also not quite as far with you in that I do think, I do think you're being a little unfairly critical. I, I don't think criticism is undeserved. I just think it's it's a little unfair the extent to which you guys are. Sure. I mean, I guess I'm not sure I agree that it's not possible to have lightning in a bottle multiple times within a short period of time because you see companies like Apple, for example, they did the uh, the iPod and then the iPhone and then the iPad. That's all within like the span of a decade. As far as gaming is concerned, though, I mean, because Apple's making new tech fields. I know it's a different space, but... The innovations that they were doing were all very much around user interface, user experience, uh, and it's been a consistent vision across all the products they've come out with over the last few years that user interface is king, and we're going to focus on delivering the best user interface there is. But you haven't seen that level of focus from Nintendo. Uh, but yeah. the gap, there's a very big gap in vision between Wii and Wii U, where Wii had this very clear vision. It had the revolution yes. And Wii U didn't have any of that behind it. Yes, uh, and, and I am with you. And that falls, that's not only, that not only falls on the marketing, but it also falls on the people who are, you know, controlling the product direction. Yeah. And on a more positive note, uh, Miyamoto being pulled off of hardware, it's not just a, yay, he was screwing the hardware up, now someone else <laughs> can do it. It's also, he can focus more on software, which, as Alex said, is completely his forte. So hopefully, with Miyamoto being not, not stretched as thin... Maybe he can work on a new IP or work with younger developers on refining their new IP. Or, yeah. you know, maybe mm -hmm. he can actually personally direct a Mario or Zelda game inst instead of just kind of producing from afar while someone else runs them. It gives, yeah. it opens things up for him more. And hopefully those are the kinds of things that he does do uh, as opposed to the kinds of things that he has been doing. Like, for example, messing up Sticker Star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he comes in with the, the EAD executive hammer and just smashes everyone else's things. Yeah. Sticker Star started as like a traditional Paper Mario game, and then Miyamoto was like, nope, that's silly. Yeah. Anyway, the Nintendo UK page for Super Mario Maker listed the game as featuring 100 pre-made levels, uh, but a few days later that claim was removed, so it's kind of up in the air whether or not that's actually true. I remember hearing at E3 that it came with 100 pre-made levels, and I remember hearing that statement specifically. Um but I don't remember if it was, like, from our site or from, like, rumors going around on Twitter. I... Well, if it's true, 
if it's true, I think that's fantastic just because a lot of people were worried about the value of this game when uh, there are other like free versions of this, obviously not official, but um, there, there, there have been many programs over the years that let you make levels or uh, just video games from other companies where you could do the same thing that was... Uh, either had more content or it was priced more affordably or so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people were worried about the value. Is this really worth 60 bucks when it's all user-generated content? But if this comes with 100 pre-made levels, it's like getting a full Mario game and a Mario editor all in one bundle, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it also solves the issue of where do I start? I just got this game and then I have a bunch of tools to use and I have no idea how to use them, so... A lot of the levels can be geared towards teaching people how to use these kinds of mechanics. Yeah, and I'd hope there's some variety to the levels, like beyond just the Hell Run levels and the, like, here's the kooky things you can do with the level design levels. I would hope that we'd have some that kind of show you what a traditional Mario level looks like and what the pieces are that go into making that. Yeah, I think there's an interesting uh, opportunity here for them to sort of teach you how to play the game without using a tutorial, just by having levels that get progressively more complex or use that utilize the uh, the assets of the game differently, you know, in ways that you wouldn't in a traditional Mario. So just by playing the game, if they do their level design correctly, then they can kind of teach you ways of how to build cool levels. Right, and then you can jump in to edit those levels as well. And, yeah. And, you know, make obstacles harder or easier to overcome. Say, for example, if you keep dying in this one place, you can just jump really fluidly right into the editor, like we know you can do, and, you know, say... I think I'm going to remove this piranha plant that keeps killing me. And then I can make it over this pipe and get passed through the next part of the level. And that'll just sort of gradually and really intuitively teach people um, how they can make courses of their own that, that offer similar experience. In addition to that, I will say one of my favorite things about the prospect of pre-made levels is the prospect of more levels that feature Goomba shoe that are made <laughs> by Nintendo, because that is like my favorite power-up in any Mario game. Yeah, and it's only ever in like two levels in Mario 3 and nowhere else. I think it's just one, one level, and really? then maybe, the maybe an e-reader level. I don't know, I never played the e-reader levels. Uh, underrated uh, power-up, though, needed to be in more places. Nintendo's Damon Baker says that the company is definitely looking at an early access program and exploring options and capabilities. Baker says that an early access program could be good for working out the kinks of games, but Nintendo wants to be really cautious about charging money for an early version of a product which may never be fully realized, um, especially if they give autonomy like that to indie developers who aren't working under as stringent regulations as Nintendo's internal teams. Yeah, this is this is something that I've talked about in the past where I think that early access you know, can work pretty well in a format like Steam where people are kind of used to evolving content like you know mods and things like that. But on a dedicated home console, people generally expect quality products and full products and things like that. So if you're going to dabble in an early access program, I think Nintendo has to keep very close tabs on it and you know regulate what, what goes on this program, what doesn't, how much can be charged, holding developers accountable, essentially, because Nintendo doesn't want to deal with a bunch of angry fans paying for content and then not getting what they wanted. Right. I think an easier option to implement than early access, and this is sort of related, but uh, I remember what they did with Wind Waker HD, where they released the game digitally like a month or so early. Oh my god, I forgot about that. And I was thinking on my commute home, I was like, why don't they do that more often? Uh, that would be a really good companion to programs like this, where they're kind of pushing people toward uh, digital distribution, but in addition pushing them toward kind of 
keeping up with games and checking them out earlier as soon as they come out. The uh, reason they don't do that more often is because their hard drives only have 32 gigabytes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is one of those things where I'm looking to NX to kind of fix these kinds yeah. of problems so that Nintendo can really do these ambitious digital distribution things uh, like early mm-hmm. access or early releases or mm-hmm. but uh yeah, the hard drive is a big constraint. Miyamoto says that virtual reality in its current state does not fit with Nintendo's philosophy of people playing games together in the living room. This kind of goes hand in hand with Reggie's comments that we talked about last week about VR uh, needing to be more social and more fun, really, just inherently fun, uh, before Nintendo starts getting involved. So the execs are on the same page. Yeah, I think the problem is for VR to become this social thing where multiple multiple people can play together in the living room, that's going to get super expensive super fast if everyone's got like $300 headsets. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of my thinking on why Nintendo's staying out of the space is right now the tech just isn't mature enough. Their, their philosophy tends to be we work with old technology and we try to squeeze as much out of it as possible, more than had been squeezed out of it before. And VR is just mm-hmm. too new. Uh, and certainly it, has, it hasn't been proven that it's going to be as social as, you know, the marketers behind it want us to think. Right. Pokemon Shuffle is coming to iOS and Android, um, and I remember seeing on Twitter from the owner of, of Cerebi that he actually found files in the 3DS version of the game that seemed to suggest that it may have a uh, an option with the mobile version of the game where you can sync your save file through the cloud between 3DS and mobile, which would be groundbreaking for Nintendo. I know it's the Pokemon company making it rather than, you know, Nintendo EAD, but still, big news for Nintendo. And also, Pokemon Shuffle is a mobile game already. Um, and anytime I was playing it on my 3DS, I was just thinking, like, God, why isn't this just on phones? I hate yeah. having to drag this gigantic piece of hardware with me if I want to just, you know, play a little quick puzzle. Yeah, as yeah. I said before, I think Nintendo was kind of using it as a way to test the water for what sort yeah. of format they should use for mobile games. And early on, it's it's been very successful. You know, for a while there, they were getting uh, a million downloads about every two weeks, which is a pretty steady rate. So, so um, you can only imagine how steady it's going to be when it comes to mobile devices. Yeah, absolutely, because 50 million people, well, not even 50 million people, 50 million 3DSs have been sold, maybe more like 30 million people own a 3DS, whereas like one and a half billion people own a smart device, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So IGN asked Nintendo why there are no female playable avatars in The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes, and Nintendo's response was a little iffy, um, in my opinion. Nintendo basically said, well, the story of Triforce Heroes is that you're in this kingdom, and this kingdom has this legend of this hero who saved the day, and the king calls out, you know, who's the reincarnation of the hero? And all these people are coming forward saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. But in this kingdom... This legend is about a male hero specifically, and therefore all the playable characters would be male. Um. I guess it, it it makes sense to a certain extent, just that, you know, Link has always been male, and so if people are claiming to be the next incarnation of Link, they, uh, they would be male. But at the same time, we've seen with Hyrule Warriors that, you know, Nintendo had considered, like, a female Link and things like that, so I don't think it's something that can't happen so much as it is just something that hasn't right. historically happened. Right. Well, the thing that I find particularly shaky about this response is, I mean, A, why does it have to be? And I'm not saying like that I particularly care about this issue. I'm a guy, so I would play as Guy Link anyway, so like it doesn't matter to me. But why does the legend have to be about a male hero specifically? That seems like such an arbitrary 
Because the way he worded it, it sounds like it's not necessarily, you know, in past Zelda games, like Wind Waker, for example, the legend was about the hero from Ocarina of Time. This one doesn't sound like it's about any particular Zelda story. So it sounds like it's just a new legend, in which case, why does it necessarily have to have a gendered hero? Like, couldn't they just say it's a hero? And I think they've said it's not part of the timeline. Oh, have they? I thought they said it was I think they've said the this timeline. explicitly. Maybe I'm wrong. I did not hear that, Alex. But if it's true, then it's definitely silly to say that it has to be a... I did a quick search, and uh, you, according to a Nintendo of Canada spokesperson, it is not part of the timeline. Okay, I'm not, I'm not insane. <laughs> the, the other thing that I find, like, particularly... I, I realize, like, you know, for the sake of history and lore and stuff, like a male hero... Uh, that does make some amount of sense. But what doesn't make sense to me is why then the reincarnation of the hero has to inherently be male, especially if they're already dressing up in, like, Zelda's dress and stuff. Like, because a reincarnation is just a reincarnation. Reincarnation, you can be a human and then a slug. Like, right. Well, why and then, could you not be a male hero? You don't know how Hylian philosophy. The director... well, it's just strange to me that none of the people coming for like from a story perspective none of the people coming forward just like happen to be female and be like yeah i'm the hero so what well Zelda hasn't established a hard and fast rule for how reincarnation works it's just kind of something that people have assumed based on the tradition of the series and that kind of hits at the crux of the problem which is it's 2015 it's no longer acceptable to say we're gonna have a male in this role because of tradition that's not a thing that's even like culturally tenable anymore We've sort of moved past that. I know a lot of people haven't, but I think in general, that's the direction that society has gone. The director even comes out and says, you know, well, Link's not exactly the most masculine character anyway, right? So it's like, why are you even bothering to, to <laughs> sort of pander to the idea that the hero must be male then? If Yeah, you're... like, that's such a strange defense. Like, we don't need a female character because Link's already not very masculine. Well, and not only that, like, What does that even mean? From what I understand, the single player of the game has you playing as Link, but the multiplayer side of the game has you playing as a not-Link imposter character. Right. Why can't that imposter be female? Right. There's, there's just so many seemingly arbitrary things, like, barring that. I, I just, I don't get it. I mean, even if this was supposed to be Link, I don't see why... I know tradition, again, but I don't see why you can't have Link be... Since Link's already androgynous, I don't see why you can't have Link be a player... A full-blown player avatar, pick male or female, Link is you. Like, there's... You there's, I, I can see it, to some extent, coming like from the single-player campaign and stuff. But the multiplayer, it just really doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not even, like, upset about it. I'm just confused. Like, why Why are you clinging to this so hard when clearly there's just no reason to? And the bizarre thing is, you look back at the old marketing for, for the Legend of Zelda series, you have, uh, there was a Nintendo Fun Club magazine, which was this this marketing thing that they used to put out. Did you join today? No, it's, it's very long, very defunct, very, very mm. defunct. Um, but but when they marketed this game, they always referred to Link in the second person. Link is you. Link is not he. Link is not. They didn't even really name him. It's just you. You are the hero. Uh, so even if you look at the series tradition and what they've been doing, the origins of the series are Link is you. I mean, at the time, maybe they didn't have a gender selection option because that wasn't tenable. 
But nowadays, I mean, all kinds of games have gender select options. Even Assassin's Creed, who said, well, female characters would be so much harder to animate. <laughs> even they have female characters now. Like, you wouldn't even have to change the animations in this game, though. They have a dress. Well, Link you wouldn't have has to do long it in Assassin's hair. Creed either. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, and you look at the re- reactions to Zelda U when that was first revealed. People thought Link was a girl. Like, you don't even have yeah. to change the character design. Yeah, Onuma himself was like, but, well, I never said he was a guy. Yeah, so, uh, so funny. But it's, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I feel like they'll come around, but I just want to know when that's going to be. I feel like it's something that's got to happen just based on the position the series is in, the rising yeah. development costs, they want to reach more audiences. Well, and, I know- and the way just culturally, like, games are developing to this point where, you know, a lot of these these kinds of adventure games like Zelda are getting to the point where you choose male or female. And yeah. it's, you know, I, I was kind of surprised a little bit that Zelda U didn't explicitly do that. And they may um, yet do that. We don't know. Um, yeah, they may yet. It's just it's just such a strange issue for me because so many people care like passionately about this. I don't care. I just want to know like why can't you just give a real answer? I kind of think maybe it's something they didn't even really think about that much internally and so they're just like, "Oh, we we need to have an answer for this, I guess." Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I think what surprises me is it's not even a very critical design point for this series. No, it's the not. The series not does not have in-depth characterization of Link. He'll show emotions every once in a while, and maybe there'll be some subtle romance hints, like in Skyward Sword. But it's never front and center part of the plot. He never has lines that would indicate that he's a male. It's just kind of an assumption that's made. So it bothers me from that perspective. But other than that, I mean, like, I'm a male, obviously. I'm probably not going to play as a female, except for maybe for the novelty. But there's lots of people out there who are used to being able to play as themselves. Anyway... Reggie says that Nintendo is astounded by how many people use Amiibo in-game. Um, that's basically the end of the story. <laughs> um, you know, this, uh... I, think, I think more people would use Amiibo in-game if more people had Amiibo. Just saying. <laughs> well, I'm also surprised that it's a number that Nintendo is astounded by. Um, Isn't that because... the point of Amiibo? <laughs> well, but the thing is, like, their, their, their in-game functionality is just so lame. Why would so anyone far, be yeah. using it? Yeah, I mean, Yarn Yoshi seems like the first kind of cool thing that actually makes sense given the Toys well, to Splatoon's Life. Well, Splatoon's challenges are kind of cool. Yeah, but, but it's not a I... Toys to Life implementation. It's a extra content no, implementation. No, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. But I, I can see why people would be using the Splatoon amiibo. Yeah. It's just surprising yeah. to me that so many people, at least enough people to astound Nintendo, are using them in-game because it just seems like 50 rupees, great. I can train one one-hundredth of a character in Hyrule Warriors. Thank you. So this to me validates something I've been thinking for a while, and that's that Nintendo is severely undervaluing Amiibo as a video game accessory because they kind of thought that their their main value to the to the public would be as a collectible. Because this this uh, this answer by Reggie was sort of said in response to you know how many people are buying Amiibo and how many people are buying them for the collectible function versus or not function how many people are buying them as collectibles versus how many people are buying them for the in-game function and Reggie said you know we can't give numbers but we've been doing research and we were astounded by what we found so that tells me that Nintendo expected most people to buy these Amiibo to sit on a shelf somewhere and they're they're surprised that people are actually using them in-game and like you said 
some of the in-game functionality is kind of lame, and I think that's a byproduct of Nintendo thinking people will buy these just to buy them. People will buy them just to have the whole collection sitting on a shelf. So uh, Nintendo doesn't really mind having shortages because that drives up the value of a collectible. But if people are buying them for their in-game worth, then having shortages and not having all that much in-game content is just bad business because they're, they're hurting the value of these amiibo. So I'm hoping that by Nintendo being astounded by the research they've done here, that that means they'll give Amiibo more of an in-game value because that's what customers are buying them for. Well, I don't hope they'll give more of an in-game value because that'll just make it more problematic when there aren't any in stock. Well, it has to be paired with in- increasing the stock yeah. as well. Well, yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm, I don't like the idea of using Amiibos as keys for more content. I like the way they're used now as companion characters in Smash, as unlocking skins in Woolly World. To some degree, the challenge is in Splatoon, although I think there should be an an alternate way to unlock them if you don't have the Amiibo. But take, for example, the Mario Party boards. Like, it's really, really ridiculous that those Mario Party boards are locked behind $13 figurines. So I'm not hoping that they have increased in-game value like that. I'm just hoping that the collect that the supply increases as a result of them realizing, oh my god, we're holding back in-game content from people as a result of our gross misunderstanding of, of how badly these things are needed in the marketplace. Well, and I think part of what Ben is saying, though, is that he doesn't want more lame implementations. He wants things more like, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but this is just based on my experience. I like what they're doing with Yoshi Woolly World because in addition to the skins, they also have this sort of not really cosmetic. It it impacts the gameplay, but there's that double Yoshi feature, which I think is really cool. It's not gated content. It's just this kind of funky thing that happens when you put your amiibo in the game. And I'd love to see more stuff like that where you kind of get this twisted version of the game experience based on adding i don't know i think i've said in the past zelda would be kind of cool to have an ai companion come with you based on the amiibo that you scan in like something like that where it doesn't really change with the content in the game but it adds to the experience yeah i i wouldn't want it to be kind of like dlc or or something that makes it feel like if you don't have the amiibo you're missing out on a, a core part of the game like that's that's terrible to me like you said with the game I boards see. but just uh, a content that players can appreciate, content that just, you know, adds some joy or value to the game without locking okay. important things behind the content. Okay, well that I could I could get behind a lot more easily. <laughs> Yoshi's Woolly World was designed with both hardcore and casual gamers in mind. Um, the producer said that they they saw the response to Yoshi's New Island, which was basically, what the hell is this? This is a game for five-year-olds. I don't want to play this. Was was the resounding... Uh, opinion from from a lot of gamers and nintendo heard that and basically said oh my god there are hardcore gamers who actually like yoshi games um (laughs) and so as a result they're they're catering yoshi's woolly world to both they're having the um we've talked about it before but they have the classic mode and the mellow mode and the classic mode is really a lot more like a traditional yoshi's island game um and the mellow mode is really for the easier younger players who just like yoshi and like being in this cute little environment so Based on the two levels I played at E3, I played the easiest level that was available and the hardest level that was available. I would say this is pretty accurate. Uh, The the easy level was about what I expected from a Yoshi game, and the harder level was surprisingly challenging. And it wasn't just because I was playing co-op, because I was playing co-op on the other level. 
it actually challenged my platforming skills. I had to actually pay attention to what was going on in the level, not just to make it to the end, but to survive. So I, I don't think they're BSing us here. Miyamoto says that the controls of Star Fox Zero take a day or two to understand. I'll say. The two-player <laughs> mechanic in which one controls the R-Wing and shoots and one other person shoots was designed with parents and small children in mind so that they can play together. Nintendo is hoping that features like these uh, will help justify the gamepad by showing its value. Um, the two, the the uh, co-op mechanic might. I'm not sure that the gyro controls, the way that they're implemented now, the anyway. Won't. I saw greater value in the gamepad before playing that cockpit view than I do after playing that cockpit view. I yeah. think if you're trying to uh, convey the value of the gamepad, you need to do it in a title that has more broad appeal than Star Fox. I don't. I don't think the average consumer who's not already a hardcore Nintendo fan, who you know, who doesn't already own a Wii U, is gonna see Star Fox and be like, "Oh, I need to pick up a Wii U." For what that, are you talking like about, Ben? One of the Star Fox games sold a million copies. <laughs> a whole million. That's a whole million people. <laughs> And I'll add to that, you need to add, do it for a game where the appeal is more easily felt than in Star Fox, because I mm-hmm. honestly feel like it's just Star Fox with motion controls on top of it. It's not a completely new game because the gamepad is there. Well, yeah. I like Star Fox with motion controls, and I know you guys, you know, didn't have that experience, but... <laughs> but uh, Well, we only played it for 20 or or 30 minutes we didn't play it for a day or two uh, the motion controls weren't so much the problem for me it was the screen switching that yeah. was a problem for me and the camera angles yeah. Star Fox features a new story although it's not expansive but it won't feature any new planets or any new stages they'll all be returning scenarios uh, or at least returning locations from past Star Fox games but the the story through which you're exploring them is is all new and I wouldn't even say the story is all new because a lot of the dialogue that we saw was literally well, just Star Fox yeah. 64 quotes yeah um it's not all new it's it's vaguely new yeah the story they mean like the the opening and ending cutscene, <laughs> <laughs> basically uh I, this is disheartening for me because what you know going off of what i just said what we've seen so far feels very much like they've just taken star, star fox 64 assets put them in 3d changed up the level design a little bit and called it a game nintendo's been notoriously bad lately i feel with putting old content or remixing old content for new games. Uh, and this one seems like one of the more egregious examples. Yeah, um, I would have really liked New Planets. And if you're not going to do New Planets, there, there's there's an argument that could be made for that too, because this is a game that, you know, it's, it's kind of a classic. They've been, you know, you've seen these levels on Super Nintendo and on N64. So being Nintendo's first HD console, I think you can make the argument that it would be really cool to visit all these locations in, in beautiful HD. Except yeah. Star Fox's Zero's graphics aren't really that great. I mean, they're not bad, but they're nothing wowing. No one's going to l- play these games and be like, oh my god, I can't believe how beautiful Corneria looks this time around. It's yeah. such a huge improvement. You don't get that wow factor. So if there's no wow factor, then I think you got to give us something new to chew on. Yeah, graphically, I'd yeah. say the coolest thing going on is the sky is more dynamic, but that's not <laughs> enough to justify <laughs> having no new settings. No. I mean, you do, look, you do see the sky a lot in Star Fox, so there's that, mm-hmm. but... Couldn't we at least see more of Corneria than the same city we've seen in every game in which Corneria appears? Like... That is literally the only city on the planet. <laughs> no, that's true. Like, actually. Is it really? <laughs> I think so. 
I wouldn't yeah, be surprised I think, I think so. like, that's just Corneria is like a military outpost planet. I think I could be wrong. I'm not a huge. I'm not hugely into the Star Fox lore. This is Colin in post briefly interjecting to say I was totally wrong. Corneria is basically like Star Fox's planet Earth. So <laughs> completely ignore what I just said. So our final story that we're going to talk about, Reggie is expecting strong sales for Wii U in North America this year, based on four titles that he says are hardware drivers. Super Mario Maker, Yoshi's Woolly World, Star Fox Zero, and Xenoblade Chronicles X. Um, which of those titles is a hardware driver? Um... <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think, honestly, the one with the best potential is probably Mario Maker, and that's really saying yeah. something. Well, I do think Mario Maker has a lot of potential as a game. I don't think it necessarily has a lot of potential as a system seller just because the people who are going to be interested enough in Mario Maker to pick it up without getting without having to slap down 300 bucks on a new console are people who already own a Wii U. Well, I don't think that the casual audience relative like, I, I don't relative think it's a system potential. I think it's something that would sell well on a system that's already sold really well. Well, I sure. would say that um, not so much attracting the casual audience of like the Wii crowd, but maybe for nostalgia's purpose, you could attract some of the like GameCube or N64 crowd that would really love to be able to make their own Mario levels of an official game and share them and stuff. But for that to work, you need to have a really strong marketing push and Outside of Splatoon, Nintendo hasn't done that for basically any game on Wii U. So I, I don't see them being able to to capitalize on the st- nostalgia of Super Mario Maker unless they mm-hmm. just really surprise me with a marketing campaign that kind of calls back to old Nintendo fans who've maybe strayed for a generation or two. I mean, we've talked about this statistic on the show before, uh, the one that you always throw out, Ben, that mm-hmm. the Wii U's best-selling holiday season was its launch and even the two holiday seasons since then combined still aren't as good as that first one um and last holiday season we had smash and mario kart available on the console so you know if if the if 2014 doesn't have strong sales for wii u which it didn't really then there's no way that 2015 is going to with star fox and xenoblade leading the charge no definitely not yeah, you joked earlier about Star Fox, like, one game has sold a million, but that's that's pretty accurate. Star Fox, he said it's a fan favorite, and in a way that's true, but it's like that niche audience where it's got, like, some super hardcore fans, but there's, like, 12 of them. It's like calling Mother a fan favorite. Yeah, it is, but, like, that doesn't mean anyone's gonna buy a console for it. Yeah, yeah. it has a lot of support, but from a small group. It's a vocal yeah. minority. And it's not consistent enough to be this franchise that you can count on. It's not like right. Mario, where they've released them enough and they've sold well enough most of the time that you can say, you right. know, this is going to sell hardware this holiday. Right. This is something that hasn't been... Te- this is some... Star Fox 64 3D was like an experiment on 3DS to see if they wanted to make a new Star Fox game. And that sold under expectations. And they said, okay, well, we won't make a new Star Fox game because people don't want Star Fox. And then all of a sudden they wanted to make Star Fox on Wii U. And so they said, well, looks like Star Fox is a fan favorite. Yeah. I mean, there's just a complete lapse of consistency here. Uh, as for Yoshi's Willy World... Um... You know, I, th- I think that has the potential maybe to bring in some younger audiences and things like that. But again, that's something where they need a strong marketing push because they need kids asking their parents to, you know, buy me Yoshi. 
and uh, Yoshi's New Island on 3DS just barely eclipsed a million. Like, it's right at the one million mark, so that's not particularly strong sales for that brand in recent history. And then Xenoblade Chronicles X is obviously very much a niche title. He pointed to that as something that could attract uh, older audiences, and to to a certain extent, yes, but, you know, I kind of paid attention to that game sales in Japan, and it gave uh, it gave Wii U a boost for about two weeks, and it wasn't a big boost. It gave it a small to medium sized boost for you know two weeks, and it has an even smaller following in the West. So I and with competing games like The Witcher and Final Fantasy fifteen sort of doing similar things to Xenoblade Chronicles. It's not like yeah. well, I'm gonna have to correct you, Ben. Xenoblade actually has a larger following in the West than Japan. Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's that's slightly good news, but even but... so. It's, it's not going to sell hardware. Right. <laughs> it might sell to a few people who want Xenoblade and only Xenoblade, but it's not going to make Wii U a healthy yeah, platform. It'll pick for up a, a few stragglers. Yeah. All right. Well, that was, it looks like this episode is actually shaping up to be normal length, even though we didn't uh, do a discussion segment. So that wraps it up for our talking points. But as always, to conclude the news segment, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. So first, we've got a couple of upcoming dates to look out for for Splatoon. On July 1st, which, bing, 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 is today, there's a big new Splatoon update, including the tower control mode that we heard about before is available. By the time you're listening to this, probably right now. Um, If not, then just a couple hours down the line, 10 p.m. EST. And then we've got some general facts from last week. Splatoon has sold 1 million units worldwide, a hacker has made the Octoling enemies playable in Splatoon, and another hacker has inserted different color ink into the game, including white. Let the jokes roll in. (laughs) Splatoon's director explains why map selection is limited to only two at a time. Basically, it affects the way that people choose weapon loadouts. If they have more than that, then, you know, they'll choose all-around weapons, whereas if it's two at a time, then people will be able to choose different loadouts that are maybe better fit for those stages, and it just encourages uh gameplay diversity monolith soft is working on a new game monolith soft would love to help with zelda u given that nintendo's had to delay it and all on all that nintendo sees monolith soft as a means to reach the core gamer demographic nintendo producer kensuke tanabe is interested in a crossover between chibi robo and pikmin fire emblem fates's third path releases next month in japan the concept behind Fire Emblem Fates' two stories is inspired actually by the original Fire Emblem game. Married units can switch to each other's class in Fire Emblem Fates. Fire Emblem Fates is a complex story of the perceptions of justice and evil rather than a simple good versus bad, and the developers want you to cry while you play it. You can recruit new characters with the My Castle feature in Fire Emblem Fates. The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes is inspired by Spirit Tracks. Triforce Heroes has about a month's worth of gameplay in it. And that's if you play it with your friends for like an hour or two a day, I believe they said. So it's kind of a slightly misleading way to to market it, but... (laughs) Yeah, in total, if you really squeeze it all out. Tezuka says that a Zelda Maker game would be a difficult task. Future Animal Crossing games could feature other Nintendo IP. The Villager amiibo reprints are appearing in North America. Sakurai considered cutting Pac-Man from Smash if Namco demanded that Sakurai use his modern design from Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures. Star Fox Zero will not lock content behind Amiibo. Platinum Games is helping with Star Fox Zero because Nintendo didn't have the resources to complete it themselves. Goodfeel worked on Yoshi's Woolly World because Nintendo loved Kirby's Epic Yarn. There's a rumor going around that Nintendo's mobile games will be available on the Amazon App Store. 
there's another rumor that surfaced this week stating that NX won't run on the Android OS, but rather it will be able to emulate Android games. Miyamoto says that Nintendo's theme park attractions will be a tremendous experience for those who grew up with Nintendo games. Nintendo is waiting to reveal details about the NX so that competitors won't steal those ideas. Nintendo is quite involved in bringing Yokai Watch to the West. Japan is getting a Pokemon magazine aimed at adults. Nintendo's vice president says that they focus on quality rather than quantity. Nintendo's vice president also says that this year is not a tr transitional year for the company. And finally, the approval rating for nearly every Nintendo director improved this year after all these big announcements about DNA and Universal and NX and all this stuff going on. So approval ratings are up. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. So type up dim reviews, please. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show. So it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at Gamnesia.com. We just talked about some questions last week, if you're interested in checking that out. That's the episode 18, I think it was. If you can't wait until next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs>